You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, guys. Rise and shine. Welcome to another episode of The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins. The topic for today is how to beat a selling agent and to help us out with some really great insider tips. Again, Michael Samet from Samet Russian Associates down in Beachborough. Michael, thanks for coming in. No problem. Thank you. Mate, let's get straight into it. What we're talking about today is quite a cheeky topic to ask a real estate agent. How do we beat you at your game? It is, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a really fun one and something that people will be quite interested in and how to even the playing field. Obviously, the real competitive advantage that you guys have is the fact that you have the relationship with the seller and the buyers don't. You are the conduit. You have the information. You are the gateway. Let's talk about how we can even that playing field. Uh, let's do some public service today and, yep. and make your life a bit harder. Uh, <laughs> but I think what it will do is is really give people understanding of how the game can be evened up. So let's get straight into it with, with the first idea. Go for it. Okay. It's an interesting topic, this, because what a buyer really needs to do is educate themselves in regards to what a property is worth, how they can negotiate with an agent, and even things like what's the reason for selling. Now, technically, if a buyer asks a real estate agent why is the seller selling, legally we're not actually allowed to say why. Hmm. Uh, it's uh, privacy, confidentiality, you know, things like that, except generally an agent will give a bit of an indication in regards to why, whether it's a death in the family, separation, whether it's just for wanting to move to another area, upsizing, mm. downsizing, something like that. Yep. So if you're able to get an indication on the, the seller's motivations in regards to why they're selling, it can actually be a good tool because if, for example, it's being sold by a public trustee, you generally know that you might get a bit of a better deal rather than if it's just someone who wants to sell to buy another property. Yeah, needs to sell at a certain price. That's right, exactly. Yep. Uh, we get some situations where the sellers say to us, this is the price I actually need to do it because I can't afford to buy the property I want to do it. Yeah, so that makes it hard for you, I guess. It does, especially, especially when it, they want a bit too much. In this market. Yeah, because the market's dropped so much over the last few years, a lot of sellers are expecting to sell their property for a lot more than... 2015 prices. Yeah, exactly. Yep. What happens is... It's hard for a real estate agent because we know where a property is worth. That's what we told them the property was worth when we initially went into the property. Yeah. And people take it personally, they get emotional about it. You, yeah. It's not easy, I guess, sometimes for you to be straight up with people and say, look, Steve, I understand that you bought it for four ninety five. With stamp duty, it's cost you five fifteen, yeah. yep. and uh, that was back in 2015. The reality is you're not going to get much out of 450 to sell it, for example. Exactly. I had one situation the other day where a uh, property in Bennett Springs, which is part of the area that we... Part of the we, zone, yep. yep. And he bought the property from me in 2014. So you were the selling agent. I was the selling agent, yep. yeah. And he gave me a hard time with it, but we sold it in the end for 530000 for a three-by-two. It was a nice home. Yep. And what happened during that time, he was a handyman. He was able to do renovations and that sort of thing. So he had a personal touch that he feels should have added a certain level yeah, of value. He spent about $80,000 on the property renovating. All right. So we're at six ten. Yep. And then you got obviously your stamp duty, all the bits and pieces like that that yep. he's spent. Let's add 20 to that, yep. six thirty. So... Now, from there, he's asked me to come through his property and give him an appraisal just for their own circumstances in regards to why they were selling. Okay. I come through and I said, you've done an amazing job, but in this market, it's only going to be worth somewhere around the 460 to 470. You're overcapitalized, essentially. He, he has. You know, $6,000 for kitchen taps and $10,000 ovens and... 
you know he's built a, a Mount Lawley house he has it, you know if he spent that money in a more expensive area he would have gained a bit more from it yep. but the just, market still dropped exactly and there's nothing you can do unfortunately renovations and things like that it doesn't mean that you spend 100,000 you're going to get 100,000 back mm. but you could get 200 but you could get zero that's right yeah so sort of back to the reasons for selling if you're able to determine why they're selling it's going to give you a indication of a good way to negotiate with the agent and the seller yeah i've always been a proponent of the ideology of the person who needs the transaction the least wins the battle yep yep that's right a lot of the time you can't assume i've had situations as well where the seller has said to me i'm not taking anything less than 550 Mm. uh the background story to it was the wife has already moved overseas and she's waiting for the husband to sell the property and he's stubborn on price and then the next day she phones him and says i don't care what you do just get the hell over here that's right and then we write up an offer for 510 and they take it yeah so even the real estate agent doesn't know what the seller is going to take the seller's going to give you an indication in regards to where they want, yep. but you can't assume. Sometimes yeah. they sell for less. Sometimes they change their mind and want more when they Pulled see the money. The market. That's right. When you thought it was a good deal. Yep, yep, yeah. and okay. we see a lot of that. So that, that's a really good point. So the first one being reason for selling, and that comes from communication, really. Yeah. Second point? Building a rapport with the agent. I think it's you know really good to do that because we're people too. Mm. You know We like to have a laugh even though we're ranked slightly higher than car yard salesmen. Um, <laughs> just. <laughs> only just. We understand what it's like having to buy a home. We do it as well. Yeah. You know, There's nothing I hate more than having to go look at homes and talk to real estate agents, and yeah. I am one yeah. because I know what it's like. Yep. And You've got to put foot on the table too. Exactly. You've got your own human factor motivations. I guess I have the viewpoint that when an agent lists a property that are budgeting that income from that sale to come in <laughs> after a maximum of a month on the market. If it's going to take them more than that, they're probably getting a little bit to a point where they're running out of marketing budget, trying to find other listings to get food on the table in the near future. Yep. However, if it comes in before that 30 days, they're laughing. Yes. Is, that a, is that a reasonable point? In a, in a way, because uh, what you're going to find is a standard contract date is going to be about 90 days. Mm. So when we write up a contract with a seller, we do it for three months. So what you'll find is when you have a property that's been on the market and it's coming up to that three-month mark, the agent might be a bit worried that if they're going to they, they're going to lose it. They might list with another agent, or they might take it off the market. Yep, and so, they haven't been paid anything. Exactly, yeah. because we only get paid from commission. Yeah. So we could do six months of work on a property. And then the seller says, oh, I changed my mind, I don't want to sell now. Yeah, or so, they go to another selling agent who starts from ground zero and yep. or, or uses all that expectation change that you've built in over time, just from where the market is, comes yep. in, says, look, we're gonna, I'll sell it within two weeks for 10 grand less than the seller actually said they'd ever allow you to sell it for. They come in, get it done at that lower price, and then you've worked your ass off for it. So yeah, I guess it is... That, that's a reality that people uh, really can understand in another way, I guess, to beat the seller is to understand that a selling agent is a human too. That's right. Yeah. And obviously, we're getting paid from the seller. Yeah. We have to work in the best interests of the seller. Yep. We have to try and get as much money as we can for them. Otherwise, yep. they may as well just sell it themselves. Yeah. But at the same time, the agent still wants to sell the property because that's how he gets paid. Yeah. So if you're building a rapport with an agent getting to know them. I've got a lot of friends just from meeting buyers coming through properties. Mm. And if you get to know an agent as well, they're going to give you realistic... Well, you'll learn from their expertise, won't you? Exactly. You'll learn about their expertise, which from your position is the Beachborough area. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're looking at buying a place in the near future in Beachborough, maybe it's a good idea to become your friend 
have a <laughs> go out for a beer at the uh, local uh, pub and, and yeah. just through the fat about the local area, you probably learn a bit. Oh, exactly, and I do that a lot. People think that their agent is, you know, the enemy in a way because, mm. you know, you're negotiating with the agent. It's a very transactional, competitive industry. It is, yeah. except really we're just the person in the middle communicating what we tell the seller and what the seller tells us to say to the buyer. Yeah, your kids might go to the same school. You yeah. might live on the same street. Exactly, and, you know... Living around the area as well, probably going to be neighbours. Yeah, so it's yeah. um, the sort of thing where if you get to know the agent and in a way become friends with them, yeah. uh, they're going to give you information that they may not necessarily give to somebody who is a bit standoffish yeah. against the agent. Or it's, it's not confidential information. It's just insider experience and expertise that any trade would have. You know, If you had yeah. a plumber, mate, your plumber would tell you, oh, this is how you fix a tap. Exactly. Yeah. And that, I guess our conversation leads mm-hmm. to that next point of uh, something you, you raised really quickly was days on the market. Yeah. Understanding that, right? Understanding how long a property's been on the market. If you actually have that information and, and there are places where you can find that information on a specific property, uh, you, could have, you could even that playing field up with a selling agent because I guess a lot of selling agents can assume that one of their competitive advantages is having all that information that a buyer may not have. Yeah. Definitely. So if we look at days on market, generally a property shouldn't be on the market for any more than four weeks. Yeah. If it is, there's an issue. Yeah. Generally, it's either the agent isn't putting the effort in to sell the property yep. or the price is too high. Yeah. They're that's, the that's main two reasons. All it can be, really, that's all it is. Yeah. And so if the price is too high and it's been for sale at the same price, the price hasn't changed in that time, then generally it's going to be priced a bit high. And what you can do is, you know, back to the point of uh, getting to know an agent. If you see a property that you like, and even if it's not with that agent, you can ask the agent, look, I saw this property. Can you give me an opinion on it? How long has it been on the market for? What do you think it's worth? Any good real estate agent has access to RP data. Exactly. For example, RP data is the Bible of information on every single property in the country. Mm -hmm. Who owns it? Who owned it before them? What else that current owner owns? How long it's been on the market for? The different ads that have gone on since in that time frame, yeah. what they bought it for, when they bought it. All this information is at the tip of your fingertips. And, and I guess if a prospective buyer wanted to know that information, could you give it to them? Would it be fine to give it to them? The more information, the better? Yeah, definitely. Like Within reason. Yeah. Obviously, there's uh, certain well, things that we... It's available information, isn't it? Exactly. So I guess it, would, it could help the transaction move along. Definitely. I just had a friend call me this morning and he said he's looking at putting an offer on a property. Can you give me a bit of information about it? Yeah. So I was able to tell him that this is how much it sold for beforehand. Yep. This is how long it's been on the market for. In this case, it was, it's been on the market for six months. Yeah. So I was able to basically give him an indication that they haven't changed the price in six months. It's been for sale for that long. Yeah. They're obviously asking too much. So I had a look at it. I gave him some comparable sales that have happened around the area, and he was able to compare with them to give him a realistic expectation of what it's actually worth. Yeah. You sounds like you are going to be a lot of people's new best friend. Yeah. Uh, I guess your uh, phone number is uh, in many uh, internet realms, so yes. they'll find you if yeah, they want to find that's you. that's right. <laughs> I guess the last point we're going to talk about today is independent research. Mm-hmm. What else can people do by themselves without becoming your best friend yep. to get that upper hand on the selling agent? What other research can they do? When you're looking at properties, to determine what the value of a property is, you look at the past sales in the area. There's no point comparing to properties that are currently on the market because they could be overpriced. It could be overpriced by 10000 50000 It's hard to tell. Yeah, they may have been sitting on the market for 
a year and a half. That's right. Totally unrealistic numbers. Exactly. As of a couple of years ago, this information wasn't available to the public. No. It was only there for real estate agents. So the real estate agents sort of had an upper hand and they were able to say, oh, the one down the road sold for 500 when it actually sold for 480 yeah. to make this property that they're in look better. Yeah, just round numbers. Exactly. You know, just, just sort of fudging reality a little bit. Yeah. Yep. And, but now with realestate.com, you can go in the sold section and it yep. tells you... That's a tab at the top of the website. That's right. And you can actually look at what properties have sold for. Hmm. What I would do if I was a buyer when looking for a property is look at what the sales evidence has been around the area. Compare the properties... And look at as many properties as you can. Go to as many home opens as you can. Have a look at the properties and compare. Mm. Because what happens is the buyer will tend to get an idea after a while in regards to what a property is actually worth. Because they've been to three properties down the road and they're nicer than the one that they're in now. And this one is more expensive than the other ones. Yeah. So you're able to tell that it's too high. Yeah. So doing and sometimes photos, professional yeah. photos can not lie but distort reality. It, it does. It does. And obviously from a real estate agent's point of view, we need to make that property look as good as That's we can on the internet. Yeah. It's not so much that they're stretching photos or things like that. It's the type of lens that the photographers use to make it look better. Yeah, lighting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what happens is you come into a property and you know it's not quite what you thought it would be. Yeah. And, and the agent's aware of that as well. Yep. Except when you're there and you meet the agent, then you can start talking to him about other properties he's got around the area or yeah. anything like that. Yeah, that conversation again. As, as much as there is a lot of data on professional sources like RP data, you can talk to agents and, uh, and whatnot, really hitting the streets yourself is you used to be able to check on the paper, I guess, whether this weekend's home opens are. That's right. Now it's yeah. all on realestate.com. Yeah, all of the main ones, realestate.com, Domain, Rewa, uh, all of them will have the home open times on it. Yep. And another thing to be aware of as well is with realestate.com, where the property is positioned on realestate.com is actually dependent on how much money the seller spends on advertising. It's like Google. Exactly. Ah. So what happens is you might have a property right at the top of realestate.com that's been on the market for six months, yeah. except because it comes to the top, it doesn't appear that way. Yeah. So you can sort the properties into arranging it from newest to oldest, things like that, because if you've got someone who's not really spending the money on marketing and it's the type of property that you might like, then you're able to see new listings that are on the market and arrange it that way. That makes sense. It's interesting, you know, when you're on Google, you never go past page one. Exactly. And a lot of people, they understand that on the selling side and they'll pump that money in just to get that sale, you know, get it, get it in, in front of as many people as possible. Exactly. Those are some really good tips to understand how to even the playing field with your selling agent. The most important one to take out of today is clearly be Michael Samet's friend. <laughs> I think, I think uh, that's a good one. I'm lucky I have uh, become your friend over the last uh, couple of years. And, Mike, I hope we can have you in soon again. No worries. Thank you very much. Okay, so Sean Pettit from Peered Real Estate has just stepped into the studio. He is obviously Dal Catter's number one real estate agent. Sean, thanks for popping into the studio and having a chat. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for inviting me. As we know, every week we chat about a new suburb. And I'm excited about Dal Catter because if we're talking about development, we're talking about diversity of housing options. Uh, Dal Catter is one of the... Uh, front runners uh, back in the day in, in providing that diversity and, and uh, the city of Stirling opening up those different zoning uh, pockets back in the day really has provided m a lot of optionality for people in that historically uh, family stronghold. Yeah, we've seen a lot of changes through the area. As you're probably aware, there's um, a few different areas within the suburb. So you get your high density stuff, which is essentially from Albert Street East. 
uh, and then you've got your normal density through the rest of it. So we're finding there's a lot of opportunity there for people if they want to do uh, villas or to a lesser extent apartments because they're backing off on those sorts of developments. But we're seeing a lot of people coming out of uh, newer subdivisions to buy an old home within the area, bulldoze and build a new family home because they're recognising the fact that you've got a big block of land so close to the city. Well, that's a perfect place to start, Sean. Just getting an understanding of where we started in Balcatta back in the mm. day and you've just referenced now the type of people that are maybe coming back into Balcatta after mm-hmm. searching far and wide out to the uh, new land estates and coming back in. Where did Balcatta start? It's a bit of an ethnic background, isn't it? It is. Uh, we're seeing a lot of second, third generation families, come. Uh, you know, kids that have grown up in the area come back and live. We're also seeing people that wouldn't have considered the area before migrate to places like Rosalie Princeton in Stirling and then basically deciding, no, we want the bigger block because of, you know, toys and uh, boats, caravans. You've got uh, kids staying at home longer. So, you know, if you've only got a 450 square metre block, it's a bit difficult to park four cars. So we're finding a lot of people with that because of the, the family units are staying so tight because that is the area as well. The kids are staying there on average to, what, 27, 29 years of age. It's a long time to have cars parked on the street or, or clogging up the streets So we're finding a lot of people coming in and getting the bigger block because then it can cater for everybody. Well, I guess that's the great thing about Belcati. You've still got a lot of optionality. You've still got a lot of those bigger blocks. And something I think you can recognise quite strongly through the area is, I guess, that Italian build, if we can call it that. Oh, no, definitely. uh, Specific brick colours, the the idea of having the house sit up sort of on a bit of an elevation with the Undercroft uh, garage sitting underneath. Still quite a lot of that around, isn't there? Oh, there is. And they're, they're, they're nice a character homes. home. Well, they're a character home. Yeah. So if I've got a property that does have the Undercroft garage, that is certainly something that I know is going to get a bit of a premium. Now, depending on whether it's a single or a double Undercroft or whether it's a uh, got another living area under there, whether it's got the cellar as well. So all these sort of things factor into the pricing of the property, which is an intangible. If you're trying to look at you know your, your logics and, and saying, okay, it's four bed, one bath or four bed, two bath with all these things, it's a bit hard to put an extra value to it but knowing the area well that does make a massive difference to the sale price you've also got a lot of views through Balcatta, quite a hilly suburb for yes. the proximity to the city yep got quite a lot of views of the city don't you yes uh where i built a home myself was actually up on the hill there which yeah fantastic views right the way through to the city and the rest another benefit of Balcatta gets its position obviously close to the train station you've got some good schools around well what we're seeing with all the new subdivisions I think I heard something on the radio yesterday the average lot size in your new subdivisions is down about 320 or 330 square meters which I know we're running out of land in Australia so it makes it a bit difficult but the beauty of Balcatta is that you're within 10 kilometers to the city and the generic block size is 700 plus and you know I always work on the fact if you've got land you've got opportunity whether the zoning changes, great. Then you can build a duplex or triplex. If it doesn't change, great. You've got a big block close to the city. You can't lose. Yeah. I think what, something we were speaking about off air is just the variety of development options you've got there. Yep. Now, obviously, your neighbours of Balcatta being Nolamara, Westminster to the north as well. Uh, but the cool thing about Balcatta is because it's been developed over so many years and there has been so much variety and there are so many pockets of Balcatta, you haven't just got that cookie cutter arrangement where you don't really know which street you're on and which house you're on, do you? That's right. So we do get a big variance. So the developments there started uh, would have been early 80s, but was never absolutely rampant. 
And that's where I think Nullamara Westminster suffers because when it's happened there, it was obviously during the boom times. So it was a rampant development. So yeah, you've just one after the other was coming down. So we're lucky enough in the suburb, you'll have everything from a two bed, one bath with common walls right the way through to your brand new three bed, two bath, double garage, you know, townhouses and the likes as well. So it does cater for a lot of um, different price points and different dynamics and, you know, everything from first home buyer that may not be on a high income through to your young executives that are after something a little bit better. Now, in terms of people that are buying off you right now, you just mentioned it a little bit. Are we starting to see it as young, smaller families who are affording Balcata? Prices have obviously come down a little bit. It, I'm finding it's more of the same, as in we're still getting second and third generation family members buying back within the suburb because they appreciate the locality for everything. Uh, we are seeing some newer people come in you know that would normally be further north I, I, I suppose where we're at at the moment I've been in the industry for 27 years and I relate it to what Mount Hawthorne was like back in the early 90s where people were saying oh god we don't want to be in the transit we're sick of driving up and down the freeway and the times that are going there we know we're going to an older home that's going to need work smaller block in, in Mount Hawthorne cases maybe smaller block than where they were further out um, and we're going to have to renovate and it's older, but we're just, we're sick of the transit. We want to get closer to the city. And that's kind of the feeling I'm getting with people now. They're quite happy to get a less of a home with better location. But the cool thing about Balcata is uh, there are so many options. We keep going back to it. I've seen million dollar houses in Balcata and I've, and you can see one by one apartments. And, that's right. And you've got the three by ones and the three by twos, all side by side arrangements these days. There's so many options that you're not stuck with simply uh, I'm stuck with this three by one or this four by two or a unit there's there's so much variety exactly and that's again the family dynamics you know if uh, one of the children want to move out of the family home but affordability is a bit tight you know if you try to do that in the likes of your city beach and floriots and places like that where you're buggered you can't get there whereas here they can still be in close proximity to the family because yeah they're just moving a k and a half to the east and end up in a villa, but they're still in the same general location they've been all their life. Well, let's get more specific then, Sean. Let's talk about what they're paying for. Mm-hmm. Let's run through the types of properties are, that are available, those price points and, yep. and what people are paying at the moment for the cheapest property in Balcata all the way up to the most expensive. Cheapest at the moment. I've just got some one-bedroom apartments, brand-new apartments for sale on Harrison Street. Uh, they're in that 260 to 270 range. Uh, still quite decent, uh, probably one of the better one-bedders that I've worked with. Uh, it's not. I find some of the one-bedroom apartments can be just about a, a leftover. They've got a bit of space, so let's just whack another An apartment. Yeah. Yep. Whereas the apartment we're dealing with there is, uh, it's as big as a two-bedder in living space. It's just it only has one bedroom, so that's probably your minimum entry. You can get some of the older two-bedroom villas with common walls that'll get down into that say 260 mark. Um, then when we go through to the top end, we're not talking million dollar properties. There's actually a few properties in the area that would probably crack two million. Uh, one of my neighbours where I was living before, I mean, their construction cost on their home was in excess of 1.3 million, even when they did it. And that's something that's a significant home. Uh, and there's a couple of others in the area that would maybe not crack two million, but they'd get very, very close to it. So we've got a massive variation. Sitting in the middle there on a 700 mm. square metre block with an older three by one or four mm. by one, what are we looking to pay? Uh, depending on location and block size, your generic block size in Valcata is 728, which is the old sixth of an acre. Uh, and they, with a neat and tidy, not substantially renovated three one, you're looking at about that five to five, 500 to 510,000. 
So that's your land, what we we would consider your block value pretty land much value. now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's certainly accessible for most people if they've yep. saved up a deposit for that median price house. You've got a couple of options, don't you? You've got the quite new house out in maybe Lansdale for that mm-hmm. price or you come a lot closer to the city. You've got nearly the same size living area, just an older house uh, with much bigger backyard and therefore future opportunity for development maybe you know going going forward the question you asked just then it just made me quickly evaluate the last couple of sales i've made but the last two homes uh your generic three ones decent size blocks both single blokes both with some attachment to the area both with toys as in extra cars and all the rest of it and quite happy to do work they've got mates in the trades and all that quite happy to do it then at the other end of the spectrum the apartments that i'm dealing with of the three that we've sold there already, two of them are single girls, and I've got another two single, or three single girls looking at the other ones in there. So we're finding even the girls are wanting to keep the location, they obviously don't need the land. Different products, horses Different product, horses. Yeah, and it was just interesting how divisive it's been that it seems to be the young blokes that are looking at the houses and the young girls, younger girls that are looking at the apartments. And then you've obviously got those family options there for those looking to stay in the area with a bit more cash. Yes. Actually, we don't have enough of a turnover for the people that want to come in the area. Oh, wow. So yeah. you, there is a shortage of supply at that higher end. Definitely. Let's move on then to your development options. We keep mm-hmm. going back to it. Is, has Balcata been fully developed? Are there any opportunities left? Oh, plenty of opportunities left. Um, I was only out letter dropping the streets two days ago and going through even some of the sub- most southern streets in Balcata, Wesley Street, Seaforth, Renmark, and all through there. And there's still very pleasant European-style homes on decent blocks with still the original owners there. So that's, again, the beauty of the area is it hasn't been all completely cooker-cutted all at the same time we're seeing a variation. So yeah, there is plenty of stuff available still. And that's all zoned for subdivision at yep. some level? Yeah, it's all that's all the R40 stuff. Yeah, yep. great. And those, obviously we're looking at the 728 square metres, so at R40 we're turning them into three? Yes, there is some difficulty at the moment doing that with one of the newer regulations we've got through the City of Stirling, but uh, you'll find there's still plenty of blocks in that 8 to 850 square metre range as well, so the demand is still there. Are people building still in Balcatta? You know, construction has slowed down a lot in 2018, 2019. Are we still seeing units and even just more substantial houses being built in Balcatta? With the apartment market, the unit market, that's slowed up and that's a supply and demand thing. Uh, the villas, yeah, no, we're seeing them come. And what it's made the developers do is be a bit more real on the product they're doing and the pricing they're asking in the first place. So one developer I've, I know quite well over there has been turning them out quite regularly and um, having no trouble at all in selling the product. What sort of spec are we expecting in Balcata for a villa? Oh, they're, they're all, you'd need to be looking at stone tops and nice tiles and higher ceilings. They need to be the better product. And that's, I, I think, across the board. I think so as well. If mm. you start in Balga and you move down to Westminster and then Nolamara and Balcata, and mm. this is essentially the the villa wing of, of the north, you would expect that Balcata would have the highest end uh, spec of this development uh, stretch. Yeah, well, we find that with people coming to us and saying, okay, we want to get a new villa. You know, if they're in that... 460 to 500,000 range, then yes, they can get it in Balcatta. If they say to me, oh no, really, we can only afford 420, 430, well, I'm sorry, you need to go to Nullamara, Westminster, Balga, because you're not going to fit it here. We talk about the location to the city. I think the other thing that we need to look at as well, when you asked me why I think it is such a good area, if you look at the map, okay, we've got a couple of defining factors for the location. Reed Highway is a natural ring road for Perth. So when I moved into the area back in 72, it was 
the outer lying. It was the Alcamos of Perth that was way out. Now we're actually in inner city, and I think you'll find that Reed Highway Ring Road will be a solid ring for a long time. I can't see it jumping to Hammersley anytime soon to make that an inner city suburb. In the same breath, we've also only seven k's to the ocean. So being that close to the beach as well as the city, it, it's kind of putting it in a, a very, very nice pocket. The other thing with that, if you look at the map, you've got Balcatta and Stirling is just a finger down the middle, down that central corridor, where it's not high density. And I'm not talking about, obviously, Albert Street East. We're just talking about the generic stuff down the middle. So it's a residential-based, family-based area, close proximity, big blocks, lots of parks, all that sort of stuff. If you go east, you're talking high density. Nullamara, Westminster, Balga, Yokine to a lesser extent. If you come closer to the city, Chewett Hill, all that is... It's all, it's, all, it's all high density. If you come closer than Stirling, then you're coming back into your, your Glendalows, Mount Hawthorns and places like that, which is more expensive. If you go west, you're in Gwalup, which is more expensive, or coming into Inloo, which is high density. So you've just got this one little finger down the middle that's actually a residential-based, close proximity to everything, and still imminently affordable. So why it hasn't taken off more than it has, still to this day, I, I can't understand why. I think it's a matter of time. A lot of it comes down to both zoning and economic conditions. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think very much so. Stirling probably built out a lot given its its estates and whatnot, but Balcatta especially with still having so much optionality there, probably the next one to start pushing into that next echelon of price points when, when people have the money to start paying for it. Well, the other thing that will change as well as we the generic person we're getting there is obviously the younger person, which seemed to buy more fashion than function. So as that changes a little and that sort of age of person now has children to worry about, then the, the functionality will have to come into it, not just the fashion. And that's where I think you'll find they'll start saying, ah, this is a good location, we need to do something. Sean, every week we get our number one agent to tell us what the median house price is in their suburb. Yep. And then if you have that money, what would you buy in Balcatta? What's your answer? There's a lot of different medians you can work with. I think if they ever wanted to do that correctly, they need to pick a particular property in the area and have it valued every time they do it, and that will give the most correct answer. Um, being that we're talking the 728 blocks and your three-bed, one-bath and, and all that, I think that's what you need to use as a generic through Balcatta. So that's putting it in that 5 to 510 range. And I think anything there that's got your basically level rectangular 728 or slightly larger block within the area, you can't go wrong. Sean... Thank you very much for coming in and chatting your suburb, Belcatta. We'll hopefully have you in for an update sometime in the near future. All right. Thank you very much, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!